your glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you once again, and we are grateful, Lord God, for your word. Uh, Father, we are grateful that you have made the gospel known to us. And this gospel, uh, the applications of it in our lives are innumerable. Lord, we will never uh, exhaust the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, Lord, as we uh, study this passage together, I pray that you would help us to see some of those riches, to, to uh, savor the, the glory of Jesus that we see in this passage. And Lord, we ask that you would glorify yourself in the granting of these requests. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So some of you guys may know this. Some of you may not know this. How many of you have I told the story of how Lindsay and I met? Kind of at Safeway? Okay. So you guys have all kind of heard it. (laughs) Um, So James doesn't know it yet. All right, cool. I'll just talk to you over here. Uh, So James, no, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) So um, most of you know that it was at Safeway, right? Okay. But there was, uh, so at the time I was working at Safeway and I was like a part-time youth pastor, also uh, part-time working at Safeway and and all of that, uh, all of that jazz. Um, And uh, so Lindsay came through my line and what I noticed, me being a guy who likes tattoos, in case you couldn't tell, um, uh, is Lindsay had this little tattoo on her arm. On her arm. How many of you guys know that she has a tattoo? Okay, cool. Uh, I was just curious, like, because a lot of people don't even realize it, like, just because it's so like subtle, you know. Um, but uh, so I noticed this tattoo on her arm that says "Take Heart." And me, having just preached through John 16 to my high schoolers, I was like, oh, I think this girl's a Christian. I'm going to talk to her. She's cute. Um, and so I asked her, I was like, oh, is that John 16, 33? And she, her eyes lit up and she was like, yes, you're the only one who's ever guessed that. I was like, well, you know, I just preached through that passage to my youth group uh, not that long ago. Uh, so it's a little fresh no, in my mind. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, she'll tell you I wasn't cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, you should tell her, you should ask her about the boss baby quote from the first night that we met. Uh, she'll tell you about that. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll tell you afterwards. Um, but uh, I noticed this, this, uh, these two words, take heart on her arm. Um, and uh, it, it sparked this conversation. And then the rest is history. We got married and had a baby. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but what's interesting about that passage is John 16 is in what's called the farewell discourse, okay? And in the farewell discourse, Jesus, you guys may remember this, you may not, because we talked about this back in the fall. Um, But Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples as he's headed towards the cross, right? And so he's he's sharing these these, uh, amazing truths with them to encourage them because they would have felt discouraged by the reality that this person whom uh, they had grown to love and this, this man whom they thought was the Messiah was, was leaving them, right? He says, he says, it's to your benefit that I am going away. And so um, he, he tells them, he says, uh, I say to you, in this life, you will have tribulation, but take heart. 
for I have overcome the world. And in tonight's passage, you'll notice in verse 13 uh, that this is, this is kind of Paul's uh, take heart speech. If you look at verse 13, it says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, I don't remember if I said this when we first began this, uh, this sermon series, but do you guys remember where Paul is when he's writing this letter? He's in prison, right? And so he's, he's telling these Ephesians, he's saying, even though I'm in prison and I'm experiencing hardship, do not lose heart. Be encouraged, right? And what, what is it that Paul, uh, that Paul articulates to them? What is it that Paul tells them that is intended to encourage them? Well, it's verses 1 through 12 uh, are what Paul uh, articulates to encourage them. And essentially what Paul is doing is he's, he's laying out for them the, the, the grand story of the gospel. He's laying out for them the story of redemption. Um, and it's the, the gospel that Paul gives to these people so that they will not lose heart. And so that's our, that is actually our main theme uh, for this message tonight. And what I want you guys to remember and to take home with you is that God strengthens the hearts of his people through the gospel. God strengthens the hearts of his people through the gospel. Now, it's been a couple weeks since we last uh, really uh, dove into Ephesians. And so if you guys remember, um, in chapter 2, 11 through 22, Paul had just uh, kind of given this, this uh, revolutionary um, teaching in that there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile, right? Which, as you guys might remember, was a pretty big deal. Like, uh, so much so that if you guys remember, in the, the Jewish temple of that particular day, they had four separate courts. You guys remember me talking about that? And uh, the, the very first court was the court of the Gentiles. And on that, the wall that separated the Gentiles from everything else, there was a threat of death to Gentiles. If they were to go beyond that point, they would be put to death. And so Paul is, is now, he's saying uh, that Jesus, through his ministry, he came and knocked down that wall of separation, and he has brought together these two groups that were divided. Now, in, in, they are united in the person and work of Christ. Their union with Christ is, uh, also creates a union with one another. Because if they're all one, if they're all one with Christ, they are all also one with one another. Does that make sense? If you are in Christ and you have another person that's in Christ, you guys are one big happy family, so to speak. In verse 6 here, he says, uh, of chapter 3, he says uh, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. And so that's a little bit of the context here. And what's actually really interesting is... Uh, Paul, I, I think, so if you notice verse 1, he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It kind of looks like a, a little bit of a sentence that's cut off there. So there's two options for why that sentence is cut off. 
But Paul's kind of famous for this, where he'll be like talking about something and then he'll just totally go off on something else. And it's like usually this like amazing, like theological, like rambling. And then he'll be like, oh yeah, I was talking about this thing, right? And this is kind of one of those moments where, um, so some people think that he stops in the middle of verse one here and then he picks up again in verse 14 for this reason. However, I tend to think that in actuality, where Paul picks up again where he was going to go is chapter four, verse one. If you look at that, he says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord, right? Uh, If you look in chapter three, verse one, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. This this similar language of prisoner, um, I think, is indicative that Paul is, he's taking a break at the beginning of chapter three and he's returning to this same idea in chapter four that he was going to articulate. And so what Paul was going to do is he was actually going to begin talking to these Ephesians about how they can apply chapters one and two in their lives, right? Because that's what chapter four, five, and six is. It's the application of the gospel, okay? But Paul, being a good pastor, wants to make sure that they really get it, okay? He wants to make sure that they really understand the gospel because you cannot apply the gospel unless you apprehend the gospel, okay? Your application of the gospel is dependent on your apprehension of it. Do we truly understand the gospel and all of its implications for our lives, Or do we not? Because to the degree that we understand the gospel, that we are changed by the gospel, that it moves our hearts, to that degree will we be able to live more fully for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we don't, if the gospel has not gripped our hearts, we will not change. Because it is the love of God in Christ Jesus that motivates us to do love and good works. So Paul, once again, being a good pastor, wants to make sure that they apprehend the gospel, that they, that they know it before he applies it in their life. And so I believe uh, these first 13 verses are Paul kind of, once again, taking them back through the glorious story of the gospel. And so if the gospel is what the Lord uses to strengthen the hearts of his people— then the question uh, that we want to ask is, what are some things that this passage teaches us about, uh, what are some elements of the gospel that we can pull out of this passage that uh, encourage our hearts? So for us, there is, I want you guys to to imagine um, these three things that we're going to pull out. They're they're like a, a beam, okay? Like these big beams that, oh, there's three of them in here. Perfect. Uh, they're like these big three beams that are keeping everything upstairs, upstairs, and not on top of us, right? And, uh, and so that's what I want you guys to think of these three points as, okay? They are these strong beams that are meant to hold your heart up in the midst of discouragement and sin uh, and um, the, the troubles of life, uh, Oftentimes, and, and we need to hear the gospel because oftentimes it is very easy for us to, uh, to get discouraged. We, um, 
it's almost like at times we can become like a, a balloon that's slowly deflating and sagging, right? And so what we need is we need a fresh, uh, a fresh understanding of the gospel. We need a fresh uh, invigoration uh, of grace in our lives. And we, we receive that through the word by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gospel, which is found in the scriptures. Um, but so the, the three points, this, these three things that, that are, we're going to take away that are, that are intended to hold us up in moments of struggle and moments of sorrow are this. The first one is the promise of adoption. The promise of adoption. The second is the person of Christ. And the third is the providence of God. So the promise of adoption the person of Christ, and the providence of God. Let's talk about that first one, the promise of adoption. Look with me at verse 6. So he says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so Paul here, he first draws the Ephesians' attention to the fact that this plan of adopting the Gentiles into the family of God, it wasn't clear in the Old Testament, right? If you look at verse 5, he says, It was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. And so... This, this amazing plan, this amazing gospel, really didn't come into, into light until Christ came. Think of it like this. B.B. Warfield has this really cool illustration, which I think he kind of stole from Augustine. Um, but, so Augustine says this. He says that the old, so he says, that, let's, let me see here. The new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Okay, so the New Testament, some of the the revelation that we have in the New Testament, it's there in the Old Testament. The the person of Christ, um, the the, uh, story of redemption, the gospel, it's there in the Old Testament, but it was was concealed, right? It was was, uh, given through uh, types and shadows and, and pictures, Um, things like the sacrificial system, things like the priesthood, things like the temple. These things uh, are are pointers toward Christ. Um, And then now in the New Testament, we can see and understand those Old Testament realities better because we have the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who shines light on those things that seem a little bit dark. Now, B.B. Warfield, he kind of goes, he goes about it a little, di- a little differently. Here's how he says it. He says, think of, think of the Old Testament like a well-furnished room, but it's really dark in there, okay? You can't really see. There's, there's couches, there's tables, there's all these different things. It's well-furnished, but you can't really see it yet. And what Jesus Christ and the the New Testament is, is it provides uh, light in that room. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, he comes into the room and he begins to allow us to see 
what the Old Testament was talking about, what the Old Testament was pointing to. And so Paul, he says uh, essentially that this, this plan of redemption, this plan uh, for um, the Gentiles to become part of God's family was always God's plan. It was always God's plan for the Gentiles to be adopted into the family of God. But that wasn't fully clear in the Old Testament. It's not as clear then as it was after Christ had come. And so Paul explains that uh, he explains that this first, uh, this first promise of adoption is intended to uh, encourage the, the Ephesians' heart uh, because the Ephesians are by and large Gentiles. Okay, and this this promise of adoption encourages their hearts because it it reveals to them that God is no longer uh, treating them like they're not part of the family. God is is saying, "Hey, it was always my plan to bring you into my family, to bring you in and have you be my children." There's this uh, this movie. Um, I, any self-respecting man wouldn't admit that they've watched this movie, but I'll, I'll admit it. Um, <laughs> there's this movie called What a Girl Wants. Have you guys ever seen this? I'm surprised. Nope. Wait, you've seen it? Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> so in the movie, okay, um, in the movie, this, uh, basically it's this, this young American girl. She lives with her mom, um, and, uh, but she's never known her dad, right? And so she kind of wanted to figure out who her dad was. So she goes through this whole process and she finds out that her dad is actually like royalty in England, okay? And so she travels to England. I bet you would probably be interested in this movie. Uh, and so she like travels to England and goes and like hangs out with all this like stuffy, like posh people, you know, and like gets to know her dad, right? Um, and so she goes to seek out her dad, and her dad uh, takes her into his home and begins to spend time with her and, and, and get to know her, and, uh, and she becomes an heir to the throne. Um, and in a similar way, what, this, the, what Paul is sharing here, this, this promise of adoption, is that uh, God is bringing uh, the Gentiles into the family of God where they were once outside of God's family, now he is, he's saying, come in. I want to adopt you as part of my family. And in a similar way, the gospel offers that same promise to us. When we were born, we were born dead in trespasses and sins, estranged from God. And what God has done in the person and work of Christ is he has made a way for us to be adopted into his family. And the amazing thing is that when you finally become part of the family, you discover that it was something that God had planned from before the foundation of the world. 
The Father chose you to be his child before he created anything. The Son came to redeem you, to purchase you from sin. And the Holy Spirit, the moment you came to Christ, was because the Holy Spirit took you by the hand and led you to Jesus and said, Here, this is the one to whom you are pledged. And so the promise of adoption holds great encouragement for us because when we feel discouraged or when we uh, recognize a struggle with sin in our lives, I think the temptation is is often to think, well, I've really stepped in it now. God's definitely going to kick me out of the family. Right? He's, he's, He's decided there's this much grace and I went that far, so... You know, cut off no inheritance, right? Kicked out of that, kicked out of the house. And what the gospel promises to us is that God's adoption it cannot be undone. We are permanently God's children because the Father chose us before we did anything uh, worthy of being chosen. Not that we could do anything worthy in and of ourselves because we're wretched, um, but. The Father chose us knowing full well what we would be like. Charles Spurgeon once said that it's a good thing that the Father chose me before I, uh, before I had done anything good or bad because he certainly wouldn't choose me now. Um, <laughs> and it's so true. So for us, when you feel discouraged or when you are suffering or when you are struggling with sin, do you call to mind the fact that I am a child of God. God has promised you are adopted. It's not something that you uh, get if you do better, right? You might get it. It's not like you might get adopted into the family of God if you be better, suck less kind of thing, right? But in reality, it is something that God has already done, that he predestined before the foundation of the world, that the son uh, accomplished through his uh, substitutionary death and his, his, perfect, his perfect life, and that the Spirit has caused to happen in our hearts through uh, causing us to be born again, as it says in First Peter. So do we call those things to mind, this promise that God has adopted us into his family? Or do you choose to worry and become anxious over all of the different things that are going on in your life? Jesus when trying to encourage his disciples, he says, do not worry about what you're going to wear, or what you're going to eat, or what you're going to drink. Do you not know that your heavenly Father knows that you need these things? Do you not know that your heavenly Father knows what you need? We need to remind ourselves of this gospel promise that we have been adopted, that we are part of God's family. There's this little kid's song that I love to sing sometimes, um, and it, it goes, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Have you guys heard that one? What? Oh, man, we used to sing that all the time growing up. But it's, it's out of First John. I can't remember, um, can't remember what, uh, what the specific reference is. 
But those words, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God. So that's our first point, is that that the gospel offers to us the promise that we are adopted. But not only that, the gospel offers to us the person of Christ, the person of Christ. Look with me at verse 8. So Paul says, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Paul, he begins to describe his ministry as a preacher of the gospel. But there is, there is a specific content to his message, namely the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, what's interesting is that this word uh, riches is actually used several times already. Uh, if you look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. If you look at chapter 1, verse 18, it says, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? If you look at chapter 2, verse 7, it says, So that in the age, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. And then in 3 8, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in 3 16, I think it's 3.16, that he may, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So this word riches, it, it runs throughout. It's this, it's this Greek word, uh, plutos. Now, what's interesting about these riches, though, is that they are riches that are in Christ, okay? What is described in a lot of these other passages, uh, a lot of these other sections, the riches of his grace, you know, forgiveness, um, being that we are the inheritance of God, that, that he is going to uh, show kindness to us. All of these things are good things that are found in Christ. They're not found. It's not as though God is offering you forgiveness and then Jesus is a byproduct, okay? What God is offering, when God offers forgiveness, what he offers is Christ and we come to Christ and we receive Christ. We give our lives to him. We, we call him our Lord and God. And when we do that, we receive the riches of Christ because they're found in him. If you think of it like, uh, like a cup that is filled up with with things, right, you know, water or whatever, the riches are, uh, Christ is the cup, okay? Forgiveness, mercy, grace, those things are in the cup, okay? And so Paul uh, is, is not, he's not preaching blessings apart from the person. The gospel is an invitation to come to the person of Jesus and bind ourselves to him And when we have uh, given our lives to him, we receive his blessings. We receive what he uh, sees fit to give to us, which in chapter 1, verse 3, is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly 
places. Think of it like this. Um, so Lindsay, I, I love her, right? And I would gladly uh, spoil her and buy her nice things and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't just go around doing that for everybody, right? I spend way more money on my wife than I spend on anybody else, right? Um, and th- this is because Lindsay and I are bound together in a bond of love and union, a bond of mutual love and commitment. And Lindsay, she's not just with me because I give her nice things, right? I don't make that much money. Um, but, But rather, she sought me and I sought her as a person. And through that relationship, we have received rich blessings. And the same is true of our relationship with Christ. We are not... Paul is not, is not preaching uh, forgiveness. He's preaching Christ. And, when, and, and so Christ is the person who is offered to us in the gospel. It is a relationship with the living God that is offered to us. And the, the uh, bonus of coming to Christ and, and repenting of our sins is that we receive forgiveness of sins. And so in a very real sense, Paul is like the woman at the well. You guys remember that story in John chapter 4 where uh, Jesus is talking with the lady and he's like, hey, you should give me a drink of water. And she's like, she's like you don't have anything to, to draw water with. And they have this little back and forth. And then it kind of leads to this, this conversation where he's like, go call your husband. And uh, she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you are right. You've had five. And the dude you're with now is not your husband, right? And so this woman is astonished. She's like, I perceive you are a prophet. (laughs) And so she has this encounter with Christ. And what she does is she goes back to the town. She says, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. And that's what Paul is doing. And that's what we do as we share the gospel. We say, come, not just for forgiveness, not just for what God can give you, but come for God. Come to the person of Christ because he desires to have a relationship with you. So my question for us is as we think about the gospel, we think about the fact uh, that um, that as we're thinking about what Paul is saying here, my, my question for us is, do we see the gospel as merely offering forgiveness, a ticket to get out of hell? Or do we see the gospel as offering to us the person of Jesus, offering to us Christ himself in an everlasting friendship, an everlasting uh, bond of love. You see, the gospel offers to us in the midst of our sinfulness and in the midst of our sorrows, the person of Jesus. And it is this same Jesus who said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
But not only do we see uh, the, the person of Christ offered to us in the, in the gospel, uh, but we also see um, the providence of God at work as we think about the gospel. Look with me at verses 9 and 11. There he says, and to bring to light, this is Paul once again speaking about his, his ministry. He says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then drop down to verse 11. He says, this, speaking of uh, all that God accomplishes uh, through the gospel and in, in the, the church, verse 10, he says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized or made come to pass in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so in this last section of verses, uh, Paul highlights for the Ephesians the plan and eternal purpose of God, which he brought to pass through Christ. But we can see throughout this passage that God is providentially ordering everything. If you look at verse 2, he says, uh, the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, right? So it's not something that Paul just, he just decided, oh, I'll be an apostle one day. It's like, no, God sovereignly worked in his life, knocked him off his donkey, right? <laughs> I can't remember if he was riding a horse or a donkey. Um, but anyway, knocked him off his donkey, blinded him, and said, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, right? And th- ha- Saul later named Paul, had this encounter with Christ and God took him and brought him into his family and made him an apostle, okay? But then not only that, if you look at verse five, it says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Once again, God being the one acting. Look at verse 6, where he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay? So once again, through the action of God. But not only that, look at, once again, look at verse 9. It says, uh, The plan of the mystery hidden, in, uh, hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then verse 11, where he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. But not only do we see that God uh, has a plan, but we also see him having the power to execute that plan, right? And this is what we mean when we talk about the providence of God, that God uh, not only uh, purposes to do something, but he actually is sovereign enough to do what he wants to do, okay? One of my favorite uh, passages to go to um, is Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 46, if I remember correctly. Um, Let me just pull it up here. Yeah, Isaiah 46, uh, when people talk about how God is not sovereign or, or when they try and make his sovereignty less than, than what it is, I love to go to Isaiah uh, 46, verse 9, and it says this, Remember the former things of old. This is God speaking, and he says, For I am God. And there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And so you see throughout this whole passage the providence of God at work, uh, bringing to pass the redemption of God's people at the right time through the person and work of Jesus. John Piper has this massive book called Providence, and uh, it's like almost 800 pages. Um, and uh, in there, he talks about uh, the, word, the word providence. It's actually a mix of two Latin words, pro vide. And it literally means, it means to see to, to see to. So like, for instance, if I asked TJ to do something uh, from one of his uh, intern duties, right? Not your Libre reference there. Uh, <laughs> if I, if I asked TJ to do something, I said, would you see to uh, worship or whatever? You know, he would say, cool, I can do that, right? Or, or no, I, do it yourself. Um, <laughs> right? Actually, I guess that ruins my illustration. Never mind. <laughs> right? If I ask him to see to something, that means he's going to not only acknowledge the need, but also take care of it, Right? And that's the idea of God's providence. Not only does he see our desperate need of a savior, our desperate need of forgiveness, but he also saw to it in sending his one and only son to be the ransom for sinners. And so Piper's point in his book is that God's uh, seeing and God's acting are inseparably linked. It's not as though God is a passive uh, observer just looking at your life and not doing anything about it. Piper also has this really cool quote where he says that God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now. And you might be aware of maybe one or two that the Lord is doing. To contrast this, our plans often do not wind up the way that we think they will. For instance, Lindsay and I had planned that we would have Evelyn when I finished school. That did not happen, right? The, the plans that we have, that we make for our lives, often do not work out the way that we think they will. But God is not like that. His plans are not thwarted by anything. Rather, his Plans always prevail because he is sovereign. God is not like us. The psalmist in Psalm 33, he says this, he says, The plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purposes of his heart throughout all generations. And so Paul is reminding these Ephesians, he's encouraging them. Remember, think about the situation. Paul's in prison, and his his intention is to encourage their hearts. And he says, think about this. God's plan is the one that prevails. He's telling them not to lose heart, but rather to trust in the providence of God. And so my question for us is, as we're thinking about this amazing truth that that everything that God purposes to happen happens in this world. When your plans fall apart, do you become discouraged 
Do you get easily discouraged? Or do you call to mind the providence of the Lord, that everything is coming to you from his fatherly hand? Someone once said that your troubles are hand-stitched. God made them just for you. (laughs) I love that. Man, I got to tell you guys, it was the providence of God that just the knowledge of that that really got me through this last week. Like, uh, man, just everything that happened, and I didn't, I didn't even tell you guys this, I don't think, but Lindsay actually went to the emergency room uh, in the middle of all that. I can't remember if I told you guys that or not. And so it was just crazy. And so I was just, I was comforted. I was actually thinking about this passage. I was thinking about this sermon. I was comforted by the fact that, that the gospel teaches us when we look at all that God is able to accomplish, he's in control. Even when my daughter is in, you know, the intensive care unit, when we thought she was going to die, he was still in control. And that, it gave me such hope. Nothing went according to our plan. Let me tell you. (laughs) We planned that we would go to a midwife. God's like, nope, you're going to go to Tacoma. We're like, dang it, I don't want to drive 45 minutes. It sucks. Um, And then uh, we had planned uh, to give birth three weeks later. And the Lord's like, nope, you're going to give birth three weeks early. We're like, oh, my gosh, we're not ready. We just moved. And we haven't even unpacked everything. And... So we're giving birth in this hospital, and then it's like Lindsay had really wanted to, you know, have it be a natural birth, but it was so painful, she needed medicine to help with it. And that was a, you know, that was yet another domino that fell, where it was just like, oh, all of our plans are just like being stomped into the dirt. And yet, in the midst of all of that, God was providentially caring for us. Because if we hadn't been where we were, Evelyn would not be here. So my encouragement to us and and through this section of scripture is that when our plans don't go the way that we expect, remember God's providence. Remember that he's still in control. Remember that his plan is prevailing. He sees and he is at work in your life. And so to sum up this message, God's intention is to strengthen the hearts of his people with the gospel. And this is because the gospel reveals the promise of God that we have been adopted into his family and he will never throw us out. The gospel reveals the person of Jesus who desires to have a relationship with us. It's not as though he brings us into the family. It's like, all right, you can be here, but you know, you're not really that holy, so we can't hang out, right? It's like, no, Jesus invites us in to have a relationship with him. And the gospel reveals to us the providence of God in all things, And so my encouragement to you guys is to let these themes of the gospel 
act as strong beams in your life that hold you up when you feel stressed out about what to do for college, when you feel stressed out about work or finals or, you know, um, boys or girls or whatever it is, when you feel stressed out about all these different things, let the gospel and, and all that is promised to us in the gospel, let those things hold you up. Let God hold you up. Martin Luther once said, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood, our mortal ills prevailing. Let's pray.